Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Rick Kiley. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. Praise God. Matthew chapter 2, we're going to read two verses in your hearing this morning. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, where is he that is born, notice there's a capital K on king. There's a small K on Herod as king. Aren't you glad to know the king, the king of kings? Where is he that's born the king of the Jews? We've seen his star in the east. And we have a purpose. We came to worship him. We didn't come to study him. We didn't come to ask him anything. We came for one reason and one reason only. We came to worship him. Is that why you came today? I came to worship him And today I'm going to preach this message called, Don't Leave As You Came. Don't Leave As You Came. Now I mentioned this sometime during the Christmas season. I'm going to tear it apart today. I'm going to rip this up. And you're going to be blessed. And you're going to leave here unlike the way you came here. Amen. Praise God. God bless you. You may be seated. The wise men were seeking the king of the Jews. It's important to remember that the wise men were not Jewish. Pardon pardon me for being so simple. But that's just who I am. I'm a simple guy. And I believe that most people are that way. They want to be told in simplicity. They were not Jews. Hey, do you know that we aren't out to reach the Christians, we're out to reach the Gentiles. It wasn't the Jews that came, it was those from the East that came. Hey, we need to bring everybody and anybody we can to the house of the Lord and say, hey, I found him. I found him and I wanna take you where I found him and I wanna introduce you to him. They unloaded their worship. They unloaded their gifts. And then they left. 2 Corinthians 9 and 6 says, This I say, he that soweth sparingly shall also reap sparingly. He which soweth bountifully shall reap bountifully. Every man, according as he purposes in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly, not grudgingly or of necessity, meaning I have to, but God loves a cheerful giver. These wise men were givers. They didn't just come to give gifts. They came to give worship, and God loves that. Matter of fact, the Bible says he inhabits, he lives in that atmosphere of praise and of worship. 
But here's what I want you to see in just laying a little bit of a foundation. Matthew chapter two and verse 12 says they were warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod. They departed into their own country another way. They met him in that manger, that cradle. They gave him their worship. They offered him their gifts. And they left, and being warned, they went a different way than they came from. How many of you ever remember the first time you met Jesus? The first time you were in the presence of the Lord. Those crazy people worshiping like they were at a football game or something. How many of you ever remember the first time that you felt the presence of God? How many of you can remember when the preaching of the word really did something to you? It increased your faith or it, or it moved you to a new dimension. Do you remember those events, those first few times you came? Do you remember that when you left, after you developed a relationship with God, that you no longer walked the way you once walked? You never went the ways that you went, which you previously went to? Did you notice the change in your life? You cannot have a relationship with God that doesn't change you completely. Otherwise, you've just had an acquaintance. My pastor said, I wouldn't give you 10 cents for a religion that doesn't change your life completely. Change your life completely. So I wanna show you a few changes. I wanna tell you first of all about a man by the name of Jacob. Jacob means deceiver. He was the younger brother. Esau was the older brother. Isaac was the father. Jacob had a strong desire for the things of God. He wanted to be having the birthright and he wanted that blessing that came to the firstborn son. But being the secondborn, he didn't have that entitled to him. So he used trickery and deception to get what he wanted. One day his brother came in from the field and he was extremely hungry and, and here Jacob had this pottage, this soup of some kind and, and Esau said, man, I am so hungry. I, I'm about to die from hunger. And Jacob, being the trickster he was, said, well, I got all this soup. I, I'd be glad to give you as much as you want, but I want something in return. And Esau said, what's that? He said, I want your birthright. Now Esau, being the carnal man that he was, said, well, what good is a birthright? I'm so hungry, I feel like I could die. I, I guess I better take care of my immediate need right now and not be concerned about what it will cost me later on. Will anybody preach with me today? That's the way some people make decisions. They don't think about the future. They only think about the present and how it impacts them and what they need at the moment. So Esau said, all right. You can have my birthright. Then later on, when his father Isaac was old and could barely see out of his eyes anymore, he overheard a conversation. 
or his mother did, that Esau was to go out and shoot one more deer and bring that meat back to Isaac so that he could have some more venison before he would put his hands on Esau's head and pronounce the blessing of God that had previously been on him, he was now gonna put it on Esau. And when that was known to Jacob and to his mother, Rebekah, she said, listen, here's what I want you to do. We're gonna trick your father into putting the blessing on you. We're gonna dress you up like Esau and the smell of the clothes and the garments that you wear. Since he can't see good, he'll touch you and he'll smell you and he'll think it's you. And he'll put his hands on you and you'll get the blessing. You'll be able to deceive your father if you follow my instructions. Now Jacob was a little hesitant. So he backed up and said, whoa, wait a minute. I might not bring a blessing, I might bring a curse. And she said, if there is a curse, my son, let the curse be on me. Later on, we found out she'd never see her son again. That was her curse. So they tricked Isaac and the blessing came on Jacob. And everything that Isaac pronounced was gonna come on Jacob. Then Esau came back in and said, well, father, I got the deer and I'm ready for the blessing. And he said, what do you mean? I've already put the blessing on you. And he realized that his brother had deceived him. And now he said, first he tricked me and took my birthright. Now he steals my blessing. The next time I see Jacob, I'm going to kill him. But Jacob's mother had already sent him away sent him to Laban, the uncle. And there, Jacob was deceived by Laban because what you sow, you will reap. If you're a deceiver, look for deception to come back on your life because that's what you've sowed. There will always be a payday for wrongdoing. Oftentimes it's in this life, but not always. But there will be a day of reckoning. There will be a payday. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. So one day, after Jacob had fallen in love with one of Laban's daughters, he was tricked and he ended up being with Leah, the older daughter, before he was with Rachel. So now he ends up with two wives because of his deception. More than any one man can handle. <laughs> and Leah has a slew of kids. And Rachel has just a few at the very end of her life. But he's gotta live with two wives, try and please them both, take care of both sets of kids, raising two families. We got a lot of that going on in our society today. Blended marriages, divorce, trying to please two sets of parents. And Jacob had to live with it and he worked on it. And then one day, after 20 years since he got the blessing from his father Isaac, 20 years later, now that Jacob has taken his family and left, he gets word that there's a head-on collision about to take place 
and there's a man who has 400 soldiers with him, and his name is Esau. Jacob, Esau's coming, and he's got 400 men with him. So Jacob decides, well, I'm going to send some gifts. I'll try and appease him somehow. I'm very wealthy. I've been blessed of God because I stole the blessing. Even though he got it the wrong way, he, God can't back up on his promises. Can you say amen to that? If God makes a promise, he keeps it. He's not like a man. But he made a promise And that promise had to be fulfilled. So now this man is very wealthy. So Jacob says, I'll try and buy my way out of this. I'll send herds and flocks and gifts. And and you bring that all ahead of me to, to Esau and tell him it's from his servant, not his brother. Tell him it's from his servant, Jacob. Let's read about it here. Genesis chapter 32 and verse 6. And the messengers returned to Jacob saying, we came to thy brother Esau and also he cometh to meet thee and 400 men with him. And it says, then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. And he divided the people that was with him, the flocks, the herds, the camels, into two bands and he said, if Esau comes to the one company and smites it, then the other company which is left will escape. Sends them in two different directions. Now here's what I want you to see. Fear divides families. Fear divides families. At the prayer conference that we had on Friday night, the rally, Sister Cobb said some things that I'm, I'm never going to forget. I got much, much more than I ever gave on Friday night. But one of the things she said was, there are two things that are coming against the church that we have to watch out for. Number one, fear. Fear. And number two, Unforgiveness. Those are the things that will destroy the church if we allow them a place in our lives. And here's Jacob. He's tried. He sent the gifts. Didn't work. Esau's still coming. Tomorrow's going to be the day of reckoning. So he divides his household. And then the next thing he does is he gets alone with God. Genesis chapter 32 and verse 24 says, and Jacob was left alone. No wife, no children, no friends, no pastor, no church, all alone and scared to death. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to cross this brook, Chidron, and I'm going to seek God. And 
and I'm going to get a hold of God if it takes me all night. Let me tell you something about prayer and fasting. Fasting without prayer is just a hunger strike. Fasting will increase your sensitivity to spiritual things, positive and negative. But if there's no prayer involved, it's just a hunger strike. This is not meant to be a weight loss program. This is meant to kill off the flesh so that we can be more sensitive to the spirit. So Jacob says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get a hold of God all by myself, all alone. And if I have to stay there all night, I'm going to get what I need from God. I hope that we have not become so mature that we don't have all-night prayer meetings. That we don't periodically say, I need to just lock myself up in a room in a closet where nobody knows where I am and it's just me and God. It might be in the house of God. It might be in your war room. How many of you remember the war room? But you've got to have a place where you can say, no cell phones, no appointments, Nobody talking to me. I've got to get a hold of God. No matter how long it takes, no matter what I have to go through, if I feel guilty about the way that I live, then I'll begin with repentance. But I've got to get a hold of God because he's the only one that can help me. The only one. And it said Jacob was left alone and there he wrestled with a man with him till the breaking of the day. You know what God did? He was so impressed with his desperation that God took on a theological form, the form of an angel. And when Jacob saw that angel, he knew to grab on and wrestle. The angel tried to get away, and Jacob said, nope, you're not getting away. And they wrestled all night long. Sometimes it's a wrestling match with God. Sometimes it's not just God puts his hand on your head and and touches you, and you feel the presence of God, and you can get up and walk away. Sometimes it's God, I have to get a hold of you, and I am not letting you go except you bless me until I know that you've heard my prayer request, until I hear a fresh word from you. We ain't going anywhere. I'm going to do everything I humanly possibly can do to hold on. I got to hear. I got to know. I need help. And I'm not leaving like I came. I'm not going to leave with my fear. And I'm not going to leave alone. I'm not leaving the way I came. And God was so impressed with that that he changed this man's life. You can read about it. it, This is verse 25. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of Jacob's thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. Touched him. 
on his thigh and probably knocked his hip out of joint. And he didn't heal him either. And when he got up from after that touch from God, he didn't walk the way that he once walked anymore. He walked with a limp. He may have dragged his leg a little bit. He didn't walk that way anymore. I want you to know something. I'm afraid of people that have an experience with God that go back to walking the way they once walked. Like a dog that returns to its vomit. Like a sow that returns to its wallowing in the mire. You should be afraid of people like that. You should be looking out to make sure that that never happens to you. Are you still walking the way that you once walked after God touched you and knocked you out of joint? He knocked you out of all kinds of joints, didn't he? Where are you going? I'm going over to this joint. What's there? Alcohol. Where are you going? I'm going over here. I'm going to this joint. That's where I get my drugs. This, this is where I meet women. This, he'll take you out of all those, come on now. He'll take you out of all those joints and cause you to walk differently, talk differently, live differently, have meaning, have purpose. And you won't walk the way you once walked. You won't leave the way you came. I love that song we used to sing. I won't leave here like I came in Jesus' name. Won't be bound, depressed, tormented, sick or lame. For the Holy Ghost of Acts is still the same. I won't leave here like I came in Jesus' name. And it's my prayer today that you won't leave this house the way that you walked in. You'll walk with a skip in your step and a smile on your face and the joy of the Lord in your heart and a fire in your bosom for the lost and health in your, come on now, and health in your body because you determined that you weren't just going to come and put in an hour. So that you could say, well, I did my duty. I was there. Now you won't call me during the week. I don't want to leave here the way I came today. I don't know what you came with. I don't know what weighs on your spirit, what's going on in your life, but it's my prayer you won't leave the way you came. And when he saw that it prevailed not against him. And then in verse 28, he said, your name will no more be called Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince, you have power with God and with men, and you have won. You've prevailed. This is a wrestling match that God lost. Because one man would not leave until he got what he came for. Changed his life. How many of you want power with God? I mean, that, that you can call out to God and, and you know that God hears you. He respects you. You're one of his kids. 
power with God. How many of you want power with men? You can have influence just because of your relationship with God. You can have favor with people that don't even serve God. Don't even know God. And you can have power with them. But it's going to take some all-night prayer, maybe, until you are changed and you refuse to walk the way you once walked. Psalm 51. Hmm. I won't tell you one more story. Well, at least one more. (laughs) I'm going to tell you about a great king. Perhaps the greatest king outside of Jesus that there ever was. And his name is David. David was a great leader. He led Israel from the front. He led the troops into battle. He didn't just order people around and he wasn't a great delegator. He was a great leader. One day, the man in charge of his military forces, a man by the name of Joab, came to him and said, David, you are so important to Israel. You are the king of Israel. This nation needs your leadership. Where would this nation be without you as their king? You cannot afford to be leading God's people from the front. What if somebody gets a lucky shot and the arrow gets under your armor and you're killed? That would be devastating to this nation. This nation would never survive without you, David. That's how important you are. Well, I never thought of it that way. I just always thought that if I was God's anointed, God was going to take care of me. Well, yeah, but we got to use a little common sense once in a while, David. Come on, now be, at least be practical. You know, there's going to be a day when you're not going to be the leader anyhow. Somebody else is going to be the leader. Maybe you ought to give me a chance. Maybe I ought to lead the armies in this next battle. You just, why don't you just stay home? You take it easy. I'll handle this one. All right, if that's what you think. I, multitude of counselors, you know, I guess I should listen. So he stays home. The only people in the, in the city are women and children. He's the only man. All the rest of them are out fighting. And what happens? He lusts after a woman. He knows she's married, but you know what? Joab was right. I am the king. I should be able to do what I want to do or not do what I don't want to do. And I should be able to do whatever I want with whomever I want, whenever I want, because I am the king. What is that? Pride? 
One set of rules for kings and the rest for the peasants. A double standard. So he takes another man's wife, commits adultery with her, finds out that she's pregnant, her husband is off fighting in the war. Obviously, he's not the one that impregnated her, so he comes up with a scheme. Mm, How can I twist this so that nobody knows the evil that I have done? I thought I did it all alone and I wouldn't get caught, but here it is. Now I'm going to have to make some adjustments. Let's get him home. Let's give him a furlough. Let's bring him back and, and let's let him have some time with his wife. Then maybe he won't be able to figure out who the real daddy is. So they bring him off the field and they tell him, hey, the king favors you and he wants you to have some time with your wife. And he said, I can't be with my wife. My brothers are out risking their lives for this nation and I get a furlough, I can't do it. I won't do it. I'm going back to the battle. And he goes. And David says, oh no, what am I going to do now? That didn't work. Put him on the front lines and leave him there. Don't rotate him out like you rotate the other guys out. Keep him there and we'll see what happens next. What do you think is going to happen? If he's on the front lines indefinitely, he never rotates out, he's going to get killed. And he does. Oh, that's a shame. Boy, that's, that's bad luck for you, Uriah. I, man, I, I wish that wouldn't have happened. Well, you knew it was going to happen. Now you have, you have committed adultery, and now you are a murderer. That's murder. That's not war. That's murder. That's wrong. Well, you know, I, I, I guess so, you know, but... Once again, like Joab taught me, I am the king. He does nothing. And God waits for him to repent, and he doesn't. So he taps one of his prophets. Nathan, come over here. I want you to go, I want you to go tell David what he's done, that I know about it. And I'm not happy. Now Nathan is scared. You don't just go walking up to the king and accuse him. So he tells a story. David, thank you for meeting with me today. God sent me. Oh, oh, you're always welcome, Nathan. I I love men of God. You know, I, I... I love the nation of Israel. I love God. I'm still who I've always been. Nothing's wrong. I'm not worried. Tell me what you want to tell me. Well, I want to tell you a story. Okay, tell me the story. 
Well, there was this one guy and all he had was one little sheep and that sheep was really just a pet and the sheep would eat at the table with him, you know. And, and then there was this other guy and he had these many, many flocks of sheep and, and this visitor from a far country came and he came to the rich guy's house first and, and he said, I, I've traveled a long ways and I, I'm, I'm hungry. And the guy said, oh, no problem. He said, I, I'll... I'll give you the finest meal. And instead of taking one of the many from his flock, he went over to the neighbor and he took that pet away from the guy's table and slew it and served it up. And David said, how dare he? And he pounded his fist. He's gonna restore many fold and he needs to be killed. Who does he think he is? And tell me, you just give me his name. And Nathan said, his name is David. And boom, it was like a harpoon. Hit David right smack in the chest. And he went on to say, hey, you could have had any woman you wanted that wasn't married. But instead, you take another man's wife. Then you kill him. Oh, I mean, he, he was. And, and you know what, David? You pronounced sentencing on yourself. Listen now to what David does after this is brought to his attention. He's going to get alone with God. He recognizes his wrong and listen to what he does. Psalm 51, verse one. He's talking to God now. Here's his wrestling match. Have mercy upon me, O God. According to your loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies and blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. I acknowledge my transgressions. My sins are ever before me. Against thee only and thee alone have I sinned and done this evil in your sight that you might be justified when you speak and clear when you judge. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me. Can you hear the desperation of this man? Purge me with hyssop that I might be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which you have broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins. Blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And don't cast me away from your presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. And restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with your free spirit. That's the way David came to God in his sin. He didn't justify it. There's no mention of Joab. 
He didn't say, I just, I just made a mistake. He fell before God. The Bible said he weeped until he could weep no more. His pillow, the Bible said, was filled with tears. There was a complete breakdown in David's life for the sins that he had committed. Hmm. But after that repentance, after that request, he stood upright, I believe, and said these words in Psalm 51 and 13. If you will do what I ask, I will teach transgressors their ways, thy ways, and sinners will be converted to thee. Deliver me from my blood guiltiness, O God, thou God of my salvation, and my tongue will abound in thy righteousness. O Lord, open up my lips and my mouth will show forth your praise. You desire not a sacrifice, else I'd give it. Thou desirest not a burnt offering, but the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. That's the way I come to you, God. Broken. A broken spirit and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. You've heard the song, Come Just As You Are. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? But I'd like to put a comma there. But leave another way. Come just as you are. I don't care what your sin is. I don't care how you're dressed. I don't care how long your hair is. Come just as you are. But when you come to this altar, you come with a broken spirit and a contrite heart. You pray the way that David prayed because I want you to know something. You are the man. And you are the woman. All of us have sinned. Can I get an amen? We're all guilty. We're all guilty. And we come with a broken spirit and a contrite heart. Now here's where I'm going to stop today. And... I want to, I don't have this in my, in my notes here, but Matthew, uh, can somebody find this for me, please? Matthew chapter five, I believe it's 23. One day, while they're finding that, <clears throat> one day, God spoke to a man and he said these words. I want you to see what I see. And so the man said, okay, let me see what you see. And he took the man down the aisle. They walked hand in hand down the aisle and they stopped about halfway down. And the man looked at the altar and it was full of gifts. Big gifts, bows, ribbons, pretty. The altar was just stacked and heaped tall with gifts. 
And he said, what are, what are these gifts? And this is what you said. If you bring your gift to the altar and you remember that your brother has aught against you, 24 please, leave there thy gift before the altar. Go thy way, first be reconciled to thy brother and then come and offer your gift. These are the gifts that my people have brought to the altar that they wanted to give to me and I refused them. I don't want your gift. Do you remember? Your brother has ought against you. Leave your gift. Don't take your gift. Somebody preach with me. <clears throat> I know it's simple. But he didn't say take your gift, I don't want it. He said, no, you leave your gift right where it is. But I got something I want you to do first. You go be reconciled to your brother. Now wait a minute, God. I'm not the one that caused this problem between my brother and I. He, you said he has ought against me. Your word says, if your brother has, if, you, if your brother is offended, that he's supposed to go and make it right with you. He's supposed to tell you, this is where you did me wrong, right? How many of you know that? If your brother offends you, go to him. That's what the Bible says. That's not what this verse says. This verse says, hey, you remember? Your brother has a problem with you. Well, that's his problem. That's not my problem. If he's got a problem with me, he's supposed to come to me. He says something completely different than what he said previously. Not to take away from what he already said, but in addition to. So whether or not your brother offended you or your brother has been offended by you, you still have to go and work it out. Well, I'm just waiting. Someday he's going to come and make it right with me. No, don't do that. Because you're going to remain in bondage and God's not going to receive your gifts. You're going to have to humble yourself. Hey, brother, I am, again, I'm sorry, you know, for what I said. Or he comes to me and says, hey, Rick, I just don't feel like things are right between you and I. And I just want you to know I forgive you, and I hope you can forgive me, and we can restore our relationship. Somebody's going to have to be big enough and spiritual enough to take the high ground and do the right thing. Remember the two things Sister Cobb said? Fear and unforgiveness. Pretty quiet in here. What, what are you trying to do, Pastor? I'm trying to make sure that you know if, it, if you've got fear, you bring it with you to God alone. And don't you leave with it. 
You know what happened to Jacob? Because he got a hold of God and because he had power with God and power with men, the next day they met. And you know what happened? Esau, man, Esau forgave Jacob. He forgave him. He was a heathen. And he forgave his brother. Why? Because Jacob got a hold of God and God got a hold of Esau. And they hugged each other and made things right. I don't know how you came today, but I know how God wants you to leave today. Let's stand together. I'm going to invite you to this altar today. And here's the reason why. If two people are meant to converse, they should never part until each is finished. Sometimes I feel like I'm the deepest preacher in the world. If two people come together for a conversation, they should not part until each is finished. Can I get an amen to that? I do not believe God is finished. I am. But I think God has some more things to say. But that's going to have to be between you and him alone. Now you can walk out of here and not listen to what God has to say and you can keep what you brought That's your option. But I think God wants you to leave another way. Jesus, we owe you everything. We are so indebted. I pray, Lord, today that every person here will feel a need to come to this altar and leave another way. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.